One of my favorite things to call vegetables is dirt candy. I don't know if you've heard that before. I just love dirt. I love everything about it. I love what comes from it. I love being covered in dirt. (laughs) Good dirt is romantic and powerful, and it's the most physical way we can get involved with the earth. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Hello, Good Dirt listeners. Welcome to the last Friday in June. Oh no, it's already over? I know. June is my favorite. I can't believe it. it. Always ends too soon. It's like we wait and wait and wait for spring and we wait for summer and then it just goes so fast. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know what will make us feel better about June ending? Yeah. Checking our voicemails. <laughs> yeah. Our slow living voicemail message answering box. <laughs> it's not actually a box. Remember when, when voicemails was a literal yeah. message machine? That's true. On the kitchen counter. Yeah. (laughs) That's not what we have. We have like an online one. I'm not sure how it works. But I do know that if you call the number 443-459-1950, you will reach the Good Dirt voicemail and you can leave us a voicemail. So we want to hear from you. We want to hear what does the Good Dirt mean to you? We want to hear your slow living questions. We want to hear your slow living thoughts. And what's really fun about this is to celebrate our 100th episode coming up in just a few weeks, we will be choosing a caller from the voicemails that are left to win a free slow living consult with us. What do you mean by slow living consult? Some people might be wondering. A slow living consult is a consultation about slow living, like what it sounds like. So it's a conversation with us where we chat about anything regarding slow living. And specifically, we want to hear about your journey. And maybe it doesn't exist yet. Maybe you're just thinking about it. Maybe you're like super deep into it. And you just want to tell us about how awesome it is. What's working for you? What's not working for you? Maybe you're overwhelmed by it and you don't know where to start. We'd love to talk to you about that, especially. So that's a slow living consult. And again... The way to win your chance at a free slow living consult with us is by calling in to 443-459-1950 and leave us a voicemail. It can be just telling us what does the good dirt mean to you. It can be asking us a slow living question. It can be telling us your thoughts about one of your favorite episodes. Anything about what excites you about slow living. So, Okay, I can't wait for that. I look forward to hearing from all of you and talking to someone at length in the slow living consult. And speaking of slow living and the good dirt, today's episode is all about plants. Since it is high summer and everything's at its peak, we're talking a lot about herbs and flowers. Which you have a lot growing in your garden right now. My garden is a little bit less fruitful at the moment. It's (laughs) mostly, you know, I got some perennials and things, but You have like an amazing explosive garden. So tell us about what's going on in your garden, mom. Well, lots and lots of mint and lemon balm as always. And the bee balm is coming into bloom. The raspberries are ripening. There are tons of gummy berries, if you know what those are. They're delicious. The coneflowers and the daylilies are blooming. And in the kitchen garden, we've got all the parsley, basil, thyme, just to name a few things. And the Tulsi is coming back as well. I'm so happy to see it. And you'll hear a lot about Tulsi in this episode. Oh, I just love Tulsi. It smells so good. It smells like vanilla mint or something kind of sweet. Yeah. Kind of basil-y. Oh, it's just 
divine. Yeah. So today's episode guest is Spencer McGowan of Ginger Tooth. She is a plant lover, truly plant ally, author, artist, recipe developer, and she comes to us from the Bitterroot Valley of Montana, which is a real place, the Bitterroot Valley. I just think it sounds so sweet in storybook. She's the author of two books, Blotto Botany, which is a collection of medicinal cordials, and her upcoming book, Forest and Home, Cultivating an Herbal Kitchen, which is meant to help you connect with nature and the seasons, and that one is coming out in August. I cannot wait to delve into that one. It feels like we've discovered a real kindred spirit through this conversation with Spencer. We're really inspired by her ethos and her work, and she is here to tell you all about her work with plants and herbs and we just hope that you enjoy it so much like we did this is spencer mcgowan of ginger tooth enjoy i am a certified herbalist artist and cookbook author i currently live in the Bitterroot Valley of Montana in a little wooden cabin with my husband, Connor, and our two cats. The Bitterroot Valley? Is that what it's called? Yeah, no, the Bitterroot is like, I haven't had the experience of like the Bitterroot, but the plant, but it's, I've heard, I've read all about it. It just seems amazing. So we live, it's about an hour and a half outside of Missoula, Montana, which is like the big liberal city in Montana. And so I'm originally from the East Coast. I'm from Portland, Maine and Nantucket, Massachusetts. I grew up in both places, one parent in each place. And I grew up in kitchens because my dad is a professional chef. And so being in a kitchen was like second nature to me. Growing up, I was always like in his office in some kitchen somewhere or going to visit kitchens all over New England in the off season. And I never considered becoming like a cook or I didn't even enjoy cooking until I was like 18. And I had moved to Sweden to where my grandmother was from. And my grandmother, Birit, had died the summer before I graduated high school and she was from Sweden and I just wanted to know where she had come from and experience that culture. And I ended up working on a really beautiful farm called Rosen Hill just outside of Stockholm. Mm. And I w- was not a good farmer. <laughs> I'm not destined for, <laughs> for farming. They quickly put me in the kitchen where I just started learning about cooking with nettles and rose petals and how to bake with herbs in a really seamless way. And a year or two later, my friend Lindsay and I discovered herbalism on Nantucket together. We just started biking around looking for plants and trying to learn as much as possible and making many mistakes with like different types of tinctures and other sorts of medicines. And from there, it just sparked. And I went to herb school in California the California School of Herbal Studies, where I did their roots program. And I fully went into herb school thinking that I was going to become a midwife or a doula. And what ended up happening was I rediscovered myself as a writer and discovered like the joy and creativity of herbal cooking. So through that program, which was amazing, and it just sort of stemmed from there. And I was 24 when I left the program. And I was really lost. I was living in the Bay Area of California making, I think, like $8 an hour working at a toy store. And I was just so lost without my herbal community that I had built. And I had been living in my car at one point, like, (laughs) just like trying to roam around trying to figure out like, what I was doing with my life in California, and what my purpose was as an herbalist and with plants, and just in general, what my purpose was. And that's when I started Ginger Tooth, my blog, I was really resistant to starting a blog, because I just I didn't want to be a blogger, you know, (laughs) I just, I think there was like the stigma at that point in like 2014, 2015 of just like, 
it just it seemed so old and tired and it wasn't exciting to me, but I didn't know how else to make a name for myself and create a presence. So I just, I started cooking with herbs and trying to find new ways and to do that. And that's when I started learning more about like traditional cooking and reading all of like just devouring cookbooks as much as possible and all of these different cooking shows. And it's just grown from there. And what initially got me sort of noticed, I guess, in the herb world online is my, I started making zines from scratch, like very collage based zines that I would handwrite and then glue to paper and bring it to kinkos and get it copied and then just like I spend hours cutting them and then bringing them places and all of that and like sewing some of them and what my biggest zine at the time was called Blotto Botany and it was like an eight page little zine that I was selling at a few stores and I dropped some off at House Witch it store in Salem Massachusetts which is just like the best store ever and when where I started teaching workshops initially and I moved back to Sweden and fully intended on living there like no idea what I was gonna do there (laughs) just just there in Sweden like meet with my family and my old friends and pasteurizing apple juice which was really fun (laughs) and my mom she was living in Maine and she got a job in Montana And she asked me if I would like to help her drive across the country with her stuff and move her there. And I was like, oh, yeah, Montana winters can't be as bad as like Swedish winters. So that sounds great. And I was very, very wrong. (laughs) It was like so much worse that year. I would think it was the worst winter I'd ever experienced snow wise. And I got an email one day from an editor at HarperCollins saying that she had found my zine Blotto Botany. And if I had ever was like interested in making it a book. And I've been wanting to write a book since before I could write, like before I could like read and write, I've been pretending to write books my whole life. So it was such a blessing. And I was so lucky that they happened to have the zine Blotto Botany still. And that was like, she just happened to come across it. I just wrapped up my second book called Forest and Home Cultivating an Herbal Kitchen, which I'm really, really excited about. It's a full cookbook all about herbal cooking and how we feel connected to home and sense of place and the land that we live on. So that's been my big project. It was about a year and a half project that I just finished up and I took most of the photos and illustrated the book and just it's a lot of different things. So and now I'm just kind of coasting and working on freelance recipe development and (laughs) content creator work, just trying to figure it out now that I don't have a book to stress over. Wow, what a story, Spencer. That's amazing. Yes, I love that story. And tell the listeners what Blotto Botany is. So Blotto Botany is a book on cordials, like infusing herbs into spirits, like, you know, wine or vodka or you know whiskey so it's mostly a book on cordials however I've made sure to put in like different things of like herbal shrubs and medicinal syrups that you can add to mocktails and cocktails and there's like a little chapter on self-care but it's the whole book we really pushed for I had a great editor who was just like a visionary in her own way and we really pushed for it to have the feel of a zine still so almost the whole book is in my handwriting and collage form it still has the feel of the zine that it originally was inspired by and that book was such a learning curve (laughs) on how to write a book I was so lucky to have that as like, you know, it's my book baby, it'll forever be like my first child. But it really prepared me for the career that I wanted, and how to cook well, and like how to write recipes. So probably most people out there know what this is, but define a zine. I have sort of a vague idea of it. But if you could sort of help me zero in on that. So a zine is like, it's a self published publication. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, historically, they've just been like, it can be like an underground publication that you, you make in your, you know, your room. I associate zines with like the Riot Girl era. Mm -hmm. A lot of zines were made from in that time. And 
I feel like maybe like in the past 10 years, there's been a real resurgence of zine makers. So, you know, you'll find zine. I saw a zine the other day that was just on Nicolas Cage in Moonstruck. (laughs) So you can make a zine on anything. And a lot of people in the herb world have utilized that sort of self publication and the beauty of the internet to spread their herbal message or like, you know, small cookbooks. And so the zines that I originally did were just, it was just a sheet of paper, like folded in half and then folded into quarters. And then like, I would draw on them and collage them. And then I would go out and have them printed somewhere. So it's like Mm -hmm. very low budget, accessible publication, which is the beauty of a zine because anybody can make them and you can make them. I've seen really, really fancy zines that I wouldn't even qualify as a zine. Like they are more like a book or like the ones that I've made that are just sometimes black and white with just like very simple artwork on it. So a zine can be pretty much anything you want to make or want to say. So it starts out as a physical thing, but then did they are they translated on into digital so they have more distribution? Some people do. I never did that because I don't know how. (laughs) I'm a Waldorf kid at heart and I did not learn how to use, I wasn't raised with technology. And so I have seen digital zines, but for the most part, it's like pocket sized physical paper. And you would just print up several and just take them different places and... yeah sell them or yeah for I was selling them for quite a while to different stores around the world I think the furthest I sent was to Australia which was really cool but for the most part just stores around the country or I would just mail them out for a while I had a line of tinctures that I was also making so the tinctures would go along with with the zines Oh, that's so cool. You're such an artist. And like, all yes. of that takes such like creative yeah. force. <laughs> so I already I want Blotto Botany. I want it right now. Where can I get it? <laughs> you can get it anywhere books are sold. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to have my publisher send you to a copy. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> that sounds like something I would just love. Like, you know, because I got a lot of herbs and stuff. And how fun to like, just do a little something different with the wine or whatever. Yeah. I'm somebody that really enjoys like the taste of alcohol and I sort of enjoy the ritual around like responsible drinking and with blotto botany my goal was to like show for maybe how you can get herbs into somebody who isn't so like as willing to maybe take rose hips or Mm. like a capsule of rose hips but you can infuse them into a really nice red wine And it just enhances the flavor. Mm. And it's just a different way. Cordials are meant to be taken, you know, in like tiny little doses. At herb school, we had a cordial party and no small doses were had there. It was one of the, (laughs) just (laughs) like the the confusions that people were making. Like, (laughs) I think I'm okay with making cordials, but I have had some cordials that are just like mind blowing. This one person made I think it was like a banana split cordial oh and I have no idea how they did it. Like it was, it was mind blowing. What I love about cordial making is that there's so much room for error and rebirth. Discovery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And discovery. So you can like, if you, you know, you infuse something for like a week and it tastes not like what you were expecting, you know, you add some sugar to it or honey or more rose petals or something like that to enhance the flavor. There's always room for rebirth mm-hmm. in a cordial jar. <laughs> What's different between a cordial and a liqueur? Or is it like the same thing? That's a really good question, actually. I feel like you don't get a lot of like herbal liqueurs. I think the difference is, I want to say liqueurs are distilled with. Mm-hmm. Maybe they um, go through another distilling process. Okay. But don't quote me on that. I'm not entirely sure. That's okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah. With cordials, you just think like infusion. Okay. So I always think of cordials as being primarily like syrup. I think of them as very thick and sweet. Right. You know, an example that I think is maybe the most famous example of a cordial is the one from Anne of Green Gables, the raspberry Mm. cordial. Yeah. And, you know, she drinks the cordial thinking that it's like a syrupy sweet thing, but Mm -hmm. it was a 
infusion. So like an alcoholic cordial. So in Europe, I mean, in Sweden, when I was living there, the cordials are really common. Like you'll find an elderflower cordial, but it's just the syrup essentially. Mm. So it changes really. Like I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think Smirnoff has a line of infusion, like, but they call it their botanical infusion or something mm-hmm. like that. And it came out, they started doing that maybe like five years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's cool. It's just like a cordial, but yeah. you know, it's called something else. So cordial changes meaning for sure. I've definitely noticed that. And when it comes down to it, I think like the word cordial is just like friendly and joyous. <laughs> so cordial is the word that I lost the fourth grade spelling bee to say. Oh, illustration. No, it was mine. the state. <laughs> it was the countywide spelling bee that was right. No, 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 no. It was the school spelling bee, and I, I didn't spell it right, but I. You still, still went on somehow. <laughs> I still went to. I want to make the record clear. I still went to county. You made it. Yeah, I My- did get fourth place at county. Those I didn't win county. Fourth is good though. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even make it out of my classroom. I was like mm-hmm. almost there, but I spelled illustration wrong. Very. Oh, that's a hard one. It was. I put an I instead of a U. I'll never forget that. <laughs> yeah, I think I won on, or I, I lost the county one on coral. I put an extra L at the end because I was wow. thinking of it like, never mind. Okay. <laughs> Tangent. As a parent, <laughs> the spelling bees were painful. I can imagine. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. Two of my kids got into it and it was like, oh no, I just couldn't see it. <laughs> anyway, we got off on a tangent, but Anyways. I was going to say about cordial was it has kind of a cultural place, right? Isn't it something you would have after your meal? And this is the way I think of it. Everyone's still sitting around and, and you know, you've had coffee and dessert, but then there's this little piece where everyone's still invited to stay and visit and drink this very sweet thing. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think that mm-hmm. traditionally it's sort of like a nightcap. Yeah. Yeah. The little cups are so cute. I know. I yeah. yeah, I love the cordial glasses. I actually don't own any. I've been waiting for the perfect set to pop up in my thrifting halls. Yeah. Well, I'm so delighted that you brought up the Anne of Green Gables story just for our listeners that might not have read it. Yeah. She and her friend got into it and they were what they were just like well they were having a tea party yeah <laughs> and she was like oh we have this raspberry drink we can drink yeah and they got and in it trouble. was totally innocent <laughs> and they didn't yeah. know and then they ended up pretty drunk yeah and they got in terrible trouble there's a recipe with raspberries and tulsi that <gasps> i think i called it like the avonlea cordial or i i don't even remember yeah <laughs> but there's a anne of green gables inspired recipe in there oh i love that it's really good too i'm so glad you brought up tulsi i want to talk about tulsi let's talk about tulsi yeah i can talk about tulsi all day i just got a tulsi infused honey a tulsi and rose oh. petal infused honey that combo is one of my favorite herbal combos is tulsi and rose petal i think there's nothing like it yeah and i put it in this dandelion chai digestive mm-hmm. tea from the same herbalist and it's like i'm like is this what heaven tastes like yeah <laughs> so and my body is like thank you like it feels so good to drink it it's just mm-hmm. amazing it's yeah. like magic Tell us all about Tulsi Spencer. I know there's a lot to say about it. So we'll just let you talk about it. Then I'm going to tell all my own Tulsi experiences. So, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tulsi is, for me, so it's a it's considered a nervine, which a nervine is defined as something that's soothing to like the heart, spirit, and body. And it really focuses on your nerves and soothing anxiety. Tulsi or holy basil, as it's also called, is a very sacred plant in India. And from what I haven't had the pleasure of going to India yet, but from everything that I've heard, you can find it in a lot of homes there, like the live Tulsi plant. But yeah, it's a. I, I usually suggest Tulsi to someone who is maybe a little hesitant to or resistant to starting herbs. And like, I can tell that they're dealing with like being frazzled or just anxiety because Telsey is one of the few herbs. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a ton of herbs, but one of the few herbs that you can often feel the immediate effects of. For example, before my first class, the first workshop that I taught, I made 
a soothing syrup recipe, which has, it's also in Blotto Botany, but it has Tulsi and Reishi and a few other things in there. And I was making mocktails with them. And I tested out the syrup and the mocktail beforehand. And I like went outside and was just staring at the moon and like utter, like it was ethereal. It was just, I was so happy and just, and then the next day when I was teaching the owner of the shop came up to me. She's like, are you sure you didn't put alcohol in, in that mocktail? Because everybody was just rosy cheeked and just like, couldn't stop smiling. Wow. It's just one of, it's one of those herbs that's just so special. And there's, I think, three different varieties of it. And it's also one of my favorite herbs to cook with because of the flavor. It's just like got really beautiful, basil floral, sometimes peppery taste. It's sweet almost yeah. by itself. It's really wonderful. It's such a cool herb. I love Tulsi with all my heart. It's definitely one of my top herbs. So you said that recipe that you just referring to is in Blotto Botany? Yeah, it's called the Soothing Syrup. Oh, I can't wait to get this book. Yeah. <laughs> Tulsi. So I never heard of holy basil, which is the same as Tulsi. Quite a few years ago, my doctor and very progressive kind of, what's the word, integrative medical professional recommended holy basil for stress or, you know, relaxation, help you sleep and all that. And I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. And then years later, I picked up a little Tulsi plant at some plant sale or something, you know, literally like two inches high and stuck it in the garden. And I have like 7,500 square feet of just garden where I just plant all kinds of things and I don't have boxes or anything. Everything's just kind of all over the place. And now in the summer, I have Tulsi everywhere. Mm. It's like a carpet of Tulsi. I actually love it. And it's one of the later things to come up, which is strange. Mm. And so I'm always worried that it, you know, it's gone away or for the last like just several seasons, it has shown up and just been everywhere. But I use it. I use it. I make tea or like you say, put it in different dishes and things. But mostly I just love walking through it and the aroma Mm -hmm. and also just its presence, you know, knowing its importance and other cultures and that also the fact that medicinally, as I understand that, I'm not really an herbalist, but there's almost nothing it doesn't do. I mean, it applies so many systems of the body. Is that true? Yeah, it definitely. Yeah, it definitely applies to a lot of things. And I think the thing that it's known for most is like for easing anxiety and stress. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I love that about how you just, you know, just being in its presence is mm-hmm. powerful in itself. One of the things that we did at herb school was we were instructed to go out and find a plant and like sit next to it. And Tulsi was the one that I chose. And we had to sit next to this plant for like 30 minutes, I think, and just uh-huh. be with it and sort of, you know, because herbs are, plants are living things. And Mm -hmm. it's so powerful and inspiring to be in the presence of a plant, especially like Tulsi. Yeah. And I think that says something that we feel from childhood on, like when I was younger, growing up on, you know, Nantucket, like the Rosa Ragosa petals, and just how much meaning and how much joy those rose petals would bring me was so powerful. And so it was like core memories and it just shows it shows the power of plants i think i mean i think a really prime example is like if you're in the pre- like a near cannabis plant like mm-hmm. the the smell the aroma like that is such a powerfully po- like it's a potent plant and it just it's a really great example of how herbs work Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think people forget that, you know, cannabis is a plant. plant. Yeah. And so. I think in, in the modern Western world, too, and, you know, we're just kind of coming back, we're kind of beginning to reclaim and be interested in the more indigenous knowledge about plants and herbs and things. And we tend to think, oh, uh, you know, this herb is good for this thing and I need to take this much of it. And, and you know, kind of mm. we, we sort of approach it almost like a pharmaceutical. Mm-hmm. But I think the more you work with them, it's like what you just said, you realize the power, it's not just in ingesting it or using it or having tea or or it's more like being around them and learning about them and learning their history. And there really, there really is kind of a presence. And But I heard an herbalist say one time that, 
you can develop a relationship with them to the point that you really don't even need to ingest yeah. them if you don't get around to it or you don't, you know, you don't have the time to go mix all this stuff. Mm, that's crazy. Yeah. I've heard that unless other, I, maybe more people are saying it, but I know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think that's completely true. I have gotten to the point in my herbalist life where I think this will change at some point, but I don't ingest so much anymore. Like I'll ingest Mm -hmm. through my cooking, but I feel when plants and nature are absent in my life, there is a big hole within like my own spirit. Mm -hmm. And recognizing that which I have in the past like few years, is just really powerful because plants are just powerful and they work. When I teach classes, I always say this is when you're getting to know a plant as an herb, you get I want like people to get to know them as you would like a new friend or like a lover, like as if you were dating. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's such an urgency in right now to heal, heal, heal. And especially in our in like the states where you know, we don't have the greatest health care. And people do a lot of stuff to try and feel better. And I like I just got rejected from seeing a primary care doctor, like rejected from a full clinic for some reason. No idea why, but it's just like, I understand why people go to extremes Mm -hmm. with their health. And what I, I really try to teach in my practice as an herbalist is, you know, pick three herbs or, you know, you can play around and see what works, but you really want to, you know, you find nettles, for example, like figure out every way that nettles can help you and see how it reacts to your body and, you know, you, how you react to nettles. And because nettles for me are great. It works, you know, I can ingest nettles every single day and be totally fine. But I know people who can't ingest nettles or put it on their skin because it'll make them, it'll cause a rash, even if they do it internally. So it's, I think we live in a culture right now where there's so many new herbal products coming out Mm -hmm. all of the time. There's all of these people just, you know, studying herbalism from a course that they found online, which is great. But like, there's real magic and power to just spending time with singular plants and like buying like a good site, like a pound of that plant, like herb. And using that, like if all you need are nettles, that's fantastic. Like David Hoffman, who's a famous herbalist, and he was one of, thankfully, one of my teachers. He was such a funny person. His famous quote is, when in doubt, use nettles, because it pretty much can apply to almost every system in the body. And it's so amazing when you find your herbal allies Mm -hmm. and which herbs resonate with you. And you know, which herbs don't. And I think going back to the mass market of so many herbs from people that, you know, like I question a lot of products because I'm like, why are there 30 products in this like one little jar that costs $65? You know, like how much of that is actually those herbs aren't all going to get to you and they're not going to heal you immediately. So I think, you know, spending less money and just buying the dried herb online, Mm -hmm. I can like send over a list of places that I like to buy herbs or like talking to people at your farmer's market or like finding there's most likely going to be an herbalist in your town somewhere or like nearby. And that's the beauty of the internet too, is that you can, I love when people reach out to me and ask me questions about herbs on Instagram. I think I love helping people find their like herbal friends. And yeah, (laughs) my motto is like, with cooking is and herbs is flavor and accessibility above all, because not everybody can grow plants in their garden. I'm not good at it. I kill all of my plants. And I also live in a very, like in Montana, which is a very drought heavy region in the summer. And, or that, and then like in September, we lost our first garden ever to like 
a weird, unexpected frost after like not having rain all summer. Then all of a sudden, all of our garden was dead. (laughs) It was so unfortunate. But like accessibility is key. And I think that we live in a time where there are a lot of brands that are making herbs inaccessible. And herbalism is for the people and like every person, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so I'd like to hark it, you know, just go back to individual herbs, finding three to five herbs that you can keep in your kitchen or your herbal cabinet. You make tinctures with them, you make tea with them, you put it in your food, and that's all you need. And like developing that relationship with your plants yeah. is in its own self so healing. Like, I love plants. Yeah. I love everything that they taught me. And I've also gotten, like, in fights with plants. You know? <laughs> like, uh, I get angry at them sometimes. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, I think when you're in tune with that sort of thing and you are open to healing and as your relationship with plants will change just as you do. And, yeah, it just all comes back to accessibility with me. And, like, that reciprocity, right? Like you're saying, it's about the relationship. And, like, the way of, like, allopathy mm-hmm. is that the word, like, we take the pill and it fixes us. And, like, the way that – the reason why that's less effective in the herbal world or it doesn't quite work that way is because it really requires this, like, mm-hmm. kind of energy exchange almost. Like, you do need to, like, get to know it and you need to get the most out of it, right? Like, I'm sure it'll help you no matter what. But I just love that part of it. Like, it takes – yeah. That relationship. And sometimes an herb is immediate, which is so great. I mean, Mm -hmm. I take Western medication for my anxiety and my depression, my ADHD, but I have plants also with me, even if I'm just Mm -hmm. like near one or like carrying a bottle of something. It's just like, Mm. it all works together. There's balance and there's beauty in that balance. I'm so glad you are speaking to the accessibility of it and the fact that not everyone can grow, you know, have a big garden and all these different herbs. And some people, you might have a couple of pots or even if you don't have that, there are great sources of the dried herbs Mm -hmm. that you can play with and be with and, you know, learn their flavors and their properties and all that. But it all speaks so much to slow living because to your point, Emma, it's not like allopathic medicine. It's not like this symptom equal this dosage and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It is more, it is forming a relationship. I do have a garden. I do have a lot of herbs in my garden and more and more with every passing season, it feels more like a community, (laughs) all these kind of Mm -hmm. personalities out there. And, you know, some of them are kind of (laughs) rude and yeah. and aggressive and so I have a lot of mugwort and mugwort is rude and um you know I'm like out there like okay I like you you know you're beautiful and you have a wonderful aroma but I want to grow something besides mm-hmm. you you can't like take over this whole space and I want my Tulsi to come up and like I said Tulsi comes up a little later but mugwort gets in there and also pink lady's thumb Mm-mm. do you know that one no it's a it's a, it's a knotweed, but anyway, oh. it comes in there and I'm always afraid it's going to like keep my Tulsi away. So I have this, it's like having these three <laughs> different kids and like they have these three personalities and, and I want the other two to let the other one shine a little bit. And so anyway, it, it gets kind of funny, but I did want to say that these things initially were mm-hmm. free. Yeah. Yeah. They're free. And, you know, to our indigenous ancestors and our our homesteading pioneer Americans, these things that were a gift from the earth. Yeah. Well, I want to say they're free as in they don't cost money. But I think, have you read Grading Sweetgrass? I knew you were going to suggest. Yeah. I haven't. I don't know why. I feel like my time has not come to read that book. I'm just getting into Women Who Run With the Wolves. Oh, yes. So I feel like I like well, I have both of these books that I've been carrying with me for years, but yeah. Well, when you come upon braiding sweetgrass, it's one of those like just like yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, yeah. But that's what this is making me think of, and I know what you mean, Mom. Like, yes, it is free in the capitalist sense, but I think when we're when we are talking about reciprocity and yes, that relationship, it does really work. You know, you need respect and honor, and mm-hmm. you need to nurture these. Well, in a lot of cases, you can't ignore them and they grow everywhere. But, you know, it, like, it's, it does take something, take some energy, which I think is beautiful, though. Yeah. I've abused a plant that was not, like, kava. Mm-hmm. That is in no way a part of my heritage or my culture. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I love kava. I think it's an incredible plant. But I, I don't 
put it in my cookbooks. I don't post about kava because it's not mine to post about. Mm -hmm. And I had a really intense, really valuable learning experience with kava a few years ago when in Manhattan. Well, it's a popular kava bar. And I went in there with my friends. And these friends are an herbalist that, you know, they're they're like city folk, like they live in Brooklyn. <laughs> Civilians. <laughs> and we went to this kava bar. I was hesitant because it was like kind of run by bros. And I was I was I like looking around and I was like, what is going on? And then like I saw that one of their drinks was like a kava drink with a Red Bull mixed with it. And I was just like, okay, this is the first red flag. <laughs> but mm-hmm. let's stay here. We're here. Like, I want my friends to experience kava. It's so Mm -hmm. such a beautiful plant. Mm -hmm. And so we had, like, more of a traditional cup of kava. And we drank it really slow. And we were feeling so wonderful. And it was just, like, just, like, this, you know, this relaxing feeling, almost, like, euphoric feeling. And greedily, we were, like, let's do another one. (laughs) And we did that. And we drank the second one, and immediately we were all so anxious. Oh, like interesting. So we all had to separate. And this wasn't the Red Bull drink. No, so we didn't okay. do the Red Bull drink. I, okay. couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to do that. Okay. Um, it was a little different because I know we were, they told us to drink this one faster, which I think was another thing. The, first one that we had, we were told to drink it really slowly, which is, mm-hmm. and then this one, they were like, down it, <laughs> just like down it. So we did. And we were all so like bugged out. And we oh, all weird. had to like make our separate, like we all had to separate. And <laughs> which was so interesting. And so I think like for me, that was a really, really valuable learning experience of like these plants, like especially something like kava is so sacred to certain cultures and then you see the bastardization of it with red bull in it in manhattan like yeah it's like it can't be capitalized you know these things in their true Mm. essence and commodified commodified so i don't know anything about kava and i've never heard tell us about kava and a kava bar so Kava kava is a sedative and it also can have like a little bit of a numbing effect and it's used in ceremonies. We had a day in herb school where we were learning how to process kava because it has a very, when you're making a kava tincture, it has to be processed in very specific ways. And I don't remember exactly how we were doing it. We were like testing different types of kava tinctures all day. And my friend Nicole and I, we were leaving school and we almost got hit by a huge truck. And we were both just like, oh no, like just so (laughs) calm. (laughs) No, like, oh no, that, uh, I'm so scary. (laughs) Your fright and flight uh, system was under yeah yes it was down yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow so yeah kava is often used in ceremonies and I don't I'm not going to go into the specifics of it because I don't you know want to say anything aside from my own personal experience but I think yeah. that there's you know reading about it is a great way but kava is a powerful powerful herb it's a sedative and it really truly feels like a sedative wow and kava bar so the idea is to help you like be calm it kind of reminds me of like cbd is it kind of like the same it's not as big thankfully as cbd but i've noticed that there's a culture around it that's just like don't drink alcohol drink kava Mm. which drives me insane there was a kava bar in missoula and that was like I think I saw something about that. They were like, we don't drink alcohol. We drink kava because it's like not as bad for you. But like mm. kava is also damaging to your liver with long-term use. Interesting. If they do not use kava for more than like two weeks at a time every day because it can affect your liver. Wow. So it's good. That it has like a similar, I think like a similar culture around it, like in, in North America that CBD does, but at least CBD is you know, we can grow that easily. And it doesn't have like the cultural history. As far as I know, I don't really know much about we can grow it and it's different and we can cultivate it in a different way. And kava is amazing, but it can do some damage and like can make you feel like shit. (laughs) 
So <laughs> I don't know if I can swear on here. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think the issue is, is we seize on something, a characteristic. We want to take it out of context. We want to take it out of its historical and its cultural context and either capitalize on it, make a business out of it, open a bar, you know, whatever. And then we lose the holistic picture of these plants and the like totally their wholeness and I think they're so beautiful and valuable and and rich and really complex in their wholeness and we start extracting their properties then we kind of go astray so but this I think it's just part of the western mindset is like oh that makes you feel relaxed okay we're gonna go with that you know Mm -hmm. instead of looking at the whole thing it kind of goes back to like hustle culture like oh "Oh, I enjoy making this tea let's sell it yeah (laughs) yeah it works for me so let's just sell it everywhere and like Listen, you, know, you have to get up at 5 a.m. and start brewing it, and then, yeah. and then you have to journal, and then you have to go work out. Yeah. And then you're going to be a better person. And then you're going to blog about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Make content. And you're going to Instagram. Yeah. That's a great segue into I really want to talk about slow living and what slow living means to you, and you're able to incorporate it into your life at all. Yeah, I was talking to my husband about this actually today because I was, you know, I think I do live slowly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that the pandemic has really shown us. Like I'm lucky, I'm very privileged in a place like where I can live slowly. And right now, like I'm able to kind of cultivate this new lifestyle. I'm not working as a barista anymore. I'm not working in the food service industry. Mm-hmm. And I'm not taking on all of this stuff from the outside, like from everyone around me, mm-hmm. which I think, for me really helps me with that slow living aspect. And so we live in a cabin in Bitterroot Valley in Bitterroot Valley, <laughs> which sounds like a storybook. <laughs> it does. It should be. And Montana is not my, it's not my heart home. It's my home physically where I live right now, Mm -hmm. but adjusting to the land and feeling comfortable on that land has been a big adjustment. So slow living to me right now, I guess, you know, I get to write books and cook every day or cook whenever I want. And I get to spend that time outside on my porch and, you know, we get to have a garden and, when we were living in Missoula, we were above a laundromat <laughs> in the middle of the city and like no garden space whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so it definitely has become more of like a slow living. But I I guess the slow living thing, it's sort of like the cottage core thing, you know, it's just like, which I have somehow become like a voice for the cottage core <laughs> people on TikTok, which is really interesting. I love TikTok. I, I love TikTok too. <laughs> I love it. I think that's like, I've always struggled with Instagram. I've struggled with growth. I've struggled with just like understanding it. And now I just feel like angry with it all the time. Yeah. I think TikTok is way, you have to be way more, way more creative. Like yeah. I just think people are, it's just, it's more interesting to me. Yeah. And it's just, you know, once you cultivate your own algorithm and like, it's, it's such a brilliant algorithm. It's just like, yeah. you see all of these like beautiful ways of living mm-hmm. that like, you know, the slow living in a city, like mm-hmm. some of my favorite TikTokers live in, you know, New York mm-hmm. and just like watching the way that they slowly navigate through their fast paced, mm-hmm. like New York, which is, you know, like the so crazy. And there's mm-hmm. so much happening around you all the time. And I think that like, for me, slow living, really, you know, you can be slow living in a city, mm-hmm. you can be doing too much living in a cabin in the middle of the woods. Mm-hmm. Totally. Like when I was living in the Redwoods in California, I was depressed and burnt out and I didn't have any money. And that wasn't slow living. It Even though you like were it. in the redwoods and yeah, yeah and going to herb school, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I love that slow living can kind of mean anything to each person. I love that answer. Yeah, it does not have to do with location or speed or busyness or, mm-hmm. and I love that you articulated that. And I am not a TikToker myself. I don't understand TikTok, <laughs> but I'll take y'all's word for you it. You will, mother. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. it's so twisted that my advice is like to anyone who's like I'm like just spend more time on the app. Yeah. And I get you. Like, Ugh. <laughs> no, thanks. But it's true. But it's true. <laughs> 
so it can really learn you. And yeah. then you <laughs> I mean, it's a creepy, brilliant, disturbing algorithm. Yeah, yeah. I, like my I, everybody's for you page looks so drastically different for I everyone. Know. It's it's incredible, and it's just it's amazing those like little glimpses of life that you get to see Mm -hmm. on TikTok. Like I, I worry about what I portray often because especially because I think I have a lot of younger people following me Mm. and commenting saying like, Oh my God, this is dream life. Like you're Mm -hmm. so lucky, like Mm -hmm. all of the stuff. And it's just like, how do you do this? You must be so rich, like (laughs) all of this stuff. And, and that really concerns me because, you know, I struggle with depression like, yeah. I, I really struggle with depression. And especially where I live, I don't have a community. My husband and I have been sharing a car. So like, I'm, you know, I'm stuck. I have to make beauty from where I am yeah. at because mm-hmm. I'm stuck at home a lot mm-hmm. of the time. And I can't walk anywhere because mm-hmm. it takes us 10 minutes to, to drive we live in town. Bitterroot Valley. Yeah. In a cabin. <laughs> I'm upset. So I worry about my TikTok presence. And I try to be as honest and the captions as possible or like Mm -hmm. with responses to people yeah I have to cultivate my own beauty Mm -hmm. yeah I think also in a way TikTok does actually make more room for that than Instagram oh yeah for sure which is really cool there's a lot of like really positive mental health talk on TikTok and Mm -hmm. it's like very real and honest and Anyways, that's this is not the first time that I've talked about TikTok on this podcast. TikTok is, <laughs> I think it's going to be it's the next thing. So yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up that your followers might look at you and think you have the perfect life, and you're able to say, "No, it's not." You know, yeah. I yeah. get depressed. I feel isolated. And gosh, it's so important to reveal that stuff because. Yeah. People can walk around feeling like not enough or like they missed the boat or they missed their dream or it's so inaccessible. And you just listen, people have a message out there for you. Wherever you go, there you are. And I didn't make that up. Mm -hmm. It's so true. Yeah. Cabin in Montana or Brooklyn or whatever. And you're still you. You know, we got really lucky with our situation. We moved out. We found this cabin on Craigslist in April of 2020. And so, you know, we're still... In a lockdown to an extent. So you were in Missoula before. Was that when you were above the laundromat and you moved? Yeah. And you were like, we're not doing this for. <laughs> thank God we left. I don't know if my. We had just eloped like the October before the pandemic. Oh, wow. Before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I don't know if we would have made it. Yeah. <laughs> in, that, in that like teeny tiny studio that gets. Like, it's just so hot. And we found this place on Craigslist and we took our stimulus checks and we were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's just like leave. Like, we don't want to be in Missoula anymore. We want to be able to go outside and all of that stuff. And people like going back to TikTok comments, it's just, I get a lot of people being like, how do I do this? Like, I wish I could do this sort of thing. And Mm -hmm. like, I try to be as transparent as possible. Like we pay $900 a month for our cabin we don't mm-hmm. own we are in no position to own property mm-hmm. or even think about it and i try to be as transparent as possible and yeah we we lucked out because like housing in montana right now like in the area that i'm at is just it's just becoming Mm-hmm. so impossible i mean wow. i think that's the you know that's the american story i, I guess everywhere. but it's crazy. I think we're at a breaking point. I think something's something's got to give. It's going to be really interesting here in a few years how this all pans out. It has to change. We can't, yeah, it can't keep going I like know. this. Like our rent was just raised, but we're still lucky that it's we're so paying true. under $1,000. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so true. It's like there has to be a bubble burst somewhere on this. But there's a question I really want to ask before we start winding up because we're getting close to our time. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you like, Giving all the issues we're now facing, you know, the whole environmental stuff and climate change and all the problems with our systems, what role do you think that plant and herbal knowledge might help in creating a real change, like a real deep fundamental change? I think a lot of us can relate to this, but I I get so depressed when I think about like climate change. And like, I personally can't put my time into reading the full, I get like all of the news updates and I'll, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, unless I feel like I need to be, I, I, it's really hard for me to like be okay with like living, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like if like just, it's so scary mm-hmm. and I get really upset with 
big corporations and I get upset with landlords and social media and like the metaverse, whatever. (laughs) I get like, it really scares me. And so I, I don't know, for me personally, I just try to look at it as like the way that I can find herbalism a purpose or find plants or food a purpose is like, you just have to, everything's individual based. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's like the plain mask metaphor, you know, like you have to put on your own mask before you can help other people. And so I think recognizing mm. that and doing your own work and getting to know nettle as a dry plant or tulsi or rose petals or like those small bits of resilience and independence and taking care of yourself and those around you Mm -hmm. and contributing to your community and then like the land you live on as much as possible is maybe key like my husband just started working at a native plant Mm -hmm. farm in Montana and their goal is you know they restored native lands and like they're growing just native plants and then they sell to other groups and that are planting them and you know small things like that learning about the land that you live on yeah. and how you yourself can respect that as much as possible and recognize you know the native land that you are on mm-hmm. and just education and like you know i think education for me i've always battled with education because i i was not a school person i dropped out of high school I somehow made it and got my diploma. No idea how. (laughs) And like the self-education of, you know, it doesn't need to be big. It just needs to be small. Like you, you know, Mm -hmm. learn about a native plant, like learn about juniper or like learn about how dandelions came to be in North America. Like that dandelions are you know, it's my favorite. And I will always say every plant's my favorite, but like dandelions (laughs) are like one of my prime examples of like, super accessible healing herbs and learning about like, you know, where they came from, you know, and if you are privileged in the sense that you know your heritage and you can like maybe trace your lineage, like for me, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky that I know where my grandmother was from. She was from Sweden. She came to New York. My grandfather was like, they were Ireland. Then they moved to Brooklyn. And so like, I'm lucky in the sense that I can trace my lineage and the plants that like my ancestors used. So again, up to the individual to like do the work, Mm -hmm. educate yourself. And, you know, if you feel called to learn about plants, trace as much as you can learn about the plants that are native learn about the plants that maybe don't exist anymore, like on your the land that you live, because we've destroyed so much. So and like, how can you personally rebuild? Mm -hmm. Maybe even if that's just like, thought is really powerful. It's kind of like plants are like a path to your own sense of place and sense of self. It's like one path to choose to get there. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're saying lots of things, which are really cool. But I I love that. Yeah. There's so many things in that. And I what we're almost running out of time, but I was going to ask you to talk about just nettle a little bit. Mm. Nettle is so incredibly complex. We Mm. just talk about nettle a little bit. I'd never had an experience with nettle that I think most people do in their childhood of like they get stung by nettles. Mm-hmm. I think the first time I ever learned about nettles was actually on an episode of The Simple Life with Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie. Amazing. <laughs> I just like, I think that was the first time because I think like Paris like got stung by the nettles or something. It's so funny. And you know, I didn't know what that was. And then nettle is such a diverse plant and tool. It's definitely the one that I utilize in baking and cooking most, I would say. Mm -hmm. It's full of vitamins. You can apply it to so many different ailments and the parts of the body. And one of my first experiences with nettle and food was at Rosenhill, the farm in Sweden. And Emilia, the owner of the farm, she was like, Spencer, go up to the barn loft and like, you'll find all of these dried plants and I want you to crush them up. And she's like, but wear gloves. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like, sure, whatever. And like, so I was like there, I think with another farm worker and like, just like crushing these nettle leaves and like, just the sting through the glove. Like that's, you know, I was like, oh, this is a, 
this is really intense. Like, what is this? And then what we ended up doing was grinding those crushed up nettles that were harvested on the farm and making it into a really fine powder and selling it as flour Oh, in the farm, the shop. And that's been, you know, now with that, I make like nettle pasta and nettle doughs, like pie dough and oh. nettle cakes <laughs> and things oh my like gosh. that. Are these in your cookbooks? Yes. <laughs> yes, they are. Oh my gosh. I just saw a really cute nettle cake on Instagram recently. and but that's, I hadn't heard of nettle pasta or pie crusts. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I thought it was so cool at the time and I didn't think about it for years. And then I went to herb school and remembered like that time. And I mean, Swedes utilize herbs in their cooking. It's just second nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nippon sopa is, I, th- I think I'm saying that right, is rosehip soup. And mm-hmm. nettles are a big part of like Swedish cuisine. Mm-hmm. So I'm really grateful to Amelia for teaching me all of that. And she was an amazing chef. And I'm very lucky to have learned about nettles from her and like the way that you can cook with them. But yeah, nettles are cool. And I think that nettles sort of have like a creamy flavor when you make a tea with them and it's Mm -hmm. definitely earthy as well so like oftentimes when I'm baking with it I'll add like a little bit of matcha to it to give it to like counteract that and kind of give it like a more brighter earthy flavor Mm -hmm. and what's great about nettles is that they're inexpensive and you'll always find somebody who wants nettles gone from their property (laughs) you know like if they're they take over kind of like mint Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think nettles are considered a weed. But yeah, weeds are powerful. Weeds are like, yeah. they're my favorite. So I just yesterday was doing some some dyeing with nettles. They're kind of new. It's the new growth, you know. It's mm-hmm. the, they're just about five or six inches high out in the yard. And it made kind of a beautiful gold color on this linen cloth. Yeah. Did you ever do any any dyeing with plants? Have you done that yet? No, I, I have in herb school. And then we had like a two-day course. and then. At the Waldorf school, we we dyed fabric and yarn. Mm-hmm. I'll get there one day. My plan is one day <laughs> to be like more on uh, top of that. But yeah, it's a little daunting to me. So I really, I think it's so beautiful. I love that you're, you're doing that too. Oh, it's fun when you do get there. Mm-hmm. And right now it's nettle and yarrow or the, the two things that are, uh, that are out there. What does the good dirt mean to you? One of my favorite things to call like vegetables is, you know, dirt candy. I don't know if you've heard that before. Oh, I haven't, but that's awesome. Yeah, there's this, I think there's a restaurant called, or maybe a book called Dirt Candy. I can't remember, but I just, I love dirt. (laughs) I love the smell of it. I love everything about it. I love what comes from it. I love how, I love being covered in dirt. (laughs) Good dirt is romantic and powerful and it's the most physical way we can get involved with the earth. So yeah, I love learning more about dirt and plants and food and how to grow food. And it just makes dirt really good, I guess. Yes. (laughs) I love dirt candy. Me too. So Spencer... In closing, is there anything else you want to tell us about what you do or about yourself or just anything we haven't talked about yet that you'd like to talk about before we close? I have an upcoming three-part workshop called Verdant Feast that is all about herbal cooking. And it's divided into, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, desserts, and drinks. And it's a three-part pre-recorded workshop that's coming up in May. I mean, yeah, the, the big thing is just my book that... Mm-hmm. is in the process of being printed. And I'll be doing dinner parties around the country for making dishes from the book. And I'm really excited to like meet people again. Yeah, I really miss that. <laughs> I, miss, I miss that. That was that's always been my favorite part about teaching workshops in person is like the people that you get to meet. Yeah. So that's the most thing and the biggest thing. And like, I guess the takeaway is just don't let money or like the need to be like that girl on TikTok, you know, that sort of that yeah. that girl thing, get in the way <laughs> of you learning about plants. Because when it comes down to it, you just need to buy it dried or like yeah. grow it yourself if you can, or like learn about safe foraging practices and responsible foraging and, you know, go for it. 
take it one herb at a time. That's wonderful. And step yeah. by step. Your your course is coming up since this will probably go live after May. In- can people get that at another time? Yeah, I'll have it up for sale, I think, possibly. Okay. And if not, okay. I'll have more courses. I'll probably either redo that one or I have another I have a few courses coming up this summer too. So wonderful. So where can people find you? Um, on Instagram always. You can always message me on Instagram and it's at gingertooth underscore and on TikTok. Even though TikTok isn't, you know, that's more of like a viewing my stuff. Yeah. TikTok doesn't really, it's not great for community just yet, but yeah, Instagram, definitely. What does ginger tooth come from? I had to change my email when I was 20 and I was collecting like teeth from different animals and like just people kept giving me teeth (laughs) and I was obsessed with the taste of ginger and I was like, oh, I love it. Ginger tooth. And it's such a cool name. It always it just felt really powerful and like snarly to me. And that's just how I yeah. what I needed in my early 20s. And like, it's just it stuck with me. And now people call me ginger tooth and like in person. And things oh, like I that. love so. that. That's great. Oh, that's awesome. And do you have a website? I do gingertooth.com. And you said a while ago, but your book coming out, when can we look for it? And what's it called? Comes out August 2nd. And it's called Forest and Home Cultivating an Herbal Kitchen. And um, I got a really cool person to write the foreword, uh, Hillary Burton Morgan from One Tree Hill. And she is a New York Times bestseller. She wrote her book, The Rural Diaries. Cool. And She's just so cool and witchy and powerful and supportive of women. And I just, I adore her. And I was such an honor to be able to have worked with her. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. Yeah. And I'll just like, I guess, keep an eye out in your city for a dinner party. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let us know if you come to Washington. Thanks so much for coming on, Spencer. This was so lovely. And I can't wait to chat again soon. Yeah, me too. It was so nice to meet you too. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Dirt Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll share it with a friend to spread the good dirt. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at WeAreLadyFarmer. That's WeAreLadyFarmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on the good dirt. Goodbye.